If you have your copies of God's Word, we're going to continue through our walk of Romans, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse 14 of chapter 7 as Paul unpacks how the law of God, when I say law of God, to simplify it, the Ten Commandments, how the law of God convicts us of our sin before salvation and arouses holiness in us after salvation. And that's where we're going to pick up in verse 14. He says this, For we know that the law is spiritual. Just a little bit ago he said, is the law sinful? Absolutely not. God forbid. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what am I doing? I I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very things that I hate. But if I do the very things... I do not want to do. I agree with the law, confessing that the, the Ten Commandments, the moral law of God is good. So now, no longer I am the one doing, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Now that can sound a little conflated, but... The willing, I I want to do good, I'm willing, it's in me, but I don't do it. How many here can relate to that at all? Like, I want to honor the Lord with all of my heart, love Him with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and then you don't. Anyone at all. We've been there. And I'm thankful that Paul tells us he's there as well. But the doing of the good is not. Verse 19, for the good I want to do, here it is, I don't do it, but I practice the very evil I don't want to do. This sounds like a conversation I have in the mirror quite often with myself. How many here talk to yourselves at all? Anyone at all? How many here are brilliant when you argue in the bathroom in front of the mirror? Anyone brilliant? And then you get to the meeting? Not so much, right? Verse 21. I find then the principle of evil is present in me, The one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, my my fingers and my mind and my eyes, and is waging war against what is written in my heart, the law of my mind, is making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my body parts, my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then, on one hand, I myself, with my mind, I am serving the moral law of God. On the other hand, with my flesh, I still struggle with sin. With that being said, let's ask God's blessing. We'll walk through this together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are so thankful for your law. For now, Lord, When I look into the law of God, I see the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ fulfilling it for me. And when I look at your law, I see his righteousness imparted to me out of grace and love. And Father, I pray that it would drive me and arouse me and stir within me a desire to obey your law, which is to love you and to love others. 
Father, I confess my sins in front of these people. I ask for your forgiveness. I pray that your Holy Spirit, that often, too often, Lord, we neglect. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our lives. Teach us, Lord, your word. Not so that we can just simply become smarter, but so that we might become more Christ-like. I pray this for myself. And I pray these things and I ask them in your son's precious and holy name. And if you're awake this morning, say, Go Blue. blue. All right. Yeah, we... Listen, listen. We are praying for green, okay? You ever beat yourself up over a decision you've made? Anyone at all? <laughs> all the time. There's a, I appreciate... Was that you, Carol? I appreciate that honesty because... I find myself just going from one mountaintop to the next mountaintop with no valleys in between. Of course, I'm joking. I'm right there with you. Have you ever said to yourself, why did I do that? How many here have ever been on a diet? And you see that brownie. How many here ever notice whenever you go on a diet, all food becomes free? Anyone else notice that? It's available, your favorite stuff. Why did I do that? I know better. This is the passage we have today. It's, by the way, one of the most technical and difficult passages to interpret in all of the book of Romans, yet it is also one of the most practical and, in some ways, comforting to us. And here's why. Every Christian in this room, every person who claims faith by grace through Jesus Christ, everyone in this room is fighting the same great battle as we find in this text this morning. Yes, we fight against our adversary, the devil. Yes, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the prince and powers of the air. Yes, we defend ourselves from false teachers and those outside the church that seek to inflict harm on the body of Christ. But there is an even more difficult battle and a difficult foe that we fight because of all of the conflicts that I just mentioned, whether it be our adversary or the world or, or those who hate the church, none of them is as great as a battle as the one that we fight, here it is, within us. The one we fight within us, for it is one that never has a moment's rest. My friends, there is a constant opponent that has formed a foothold inside of every believer. And that battle is our flesh. Uh, The battle with our old man, our old sin nature. The inner battle between our new life in Christ and our old sinful flesh before him. And I want you to hear this clearly. There is never a white flag waved in this battle until we draw our last breath. The believer's life is a constant war between holiness and sinfulness, between sacrificial love and the love of self. Paul's going to unpack this constant struggle with, our, with his, and I love this, with his own personal sanctification. Or simply put, Paul's going to unpack his efforts on fighting sin in his life, within him, and becoming more like Christ and his holy character, his holy law. So we're going to look at this text here, all right? 
Now, there are times when people will use this errantly as a passage to show that there is such a thing as carnal Christianity. That there is such a thing as carnal Christianity. And here's what I mean by carnal Christianity. A person who claims Christ, yet habitually and purposely and comfortably chooses sin that God hates. To habitually live outside of God's will for our life. Who claim salvation, but Jesus is not their Lord. A salvation without a headship, if you will. However, this is not at all what the text is bringing forth. For Paul is talking about himself as a mature believer, writing to believers in the church in Rome. In fact, 18 times he uses the word I, and he writes in the present tense. Right now, I am saying this about myself. And he is, he is writing as an apostle of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, to a church full of Jews and Gentiles. 18 times he says the word I, writing in the present tense to describe himself as a believer. A believer, but which by the way, hates his sin. A believer that does not love his sin, but rather loves the law of God. Paul's being brutally honest with us here this morning. He's being brutally honest with the church about his inner battle between his desire to love and honor Jesus Christ and his, his constant attraction and fight with the sin of his old sin nature. And we all know this battle well, do we not? We battle this every day. Look at what he begins with. He says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but that we, or I, am fleshly. Now, if we're all honest, we would agree that the battle between our new nature in Christ and our old nature is so difficult that there are times, I know for myself, there are times when I say, Brett, what in the world are you doing? Why are you doing this? You know better. You know God doesn't love this. You know that he died to rescue you from that power of sin. Why are you willingly throwing yourself into the very thing Christ has tried and has succeeded in redeeming us from? What am I doing? You know that this is not right. You know that this is sin. Yet here you are, at the end of the day, guilty of doing what you know does not please God. Have you been there? Church, have you been there? Have you been there? Say amen. We've all been there. Where you say to yourself in the middle of what you're doing wrong, you say, what in the world am I doing? That's what Paul means when he says, I do not understand what I'm doing. I don't understand it. I desire goodness. I desire holiness. I want to walk with Christ. And then he says this, I even, and I love this, I even agree with the law, and I will tell you that the law is good. I want to offer you some comfort right now. Only a true child of God, only a true child of God would agree that his moral law is good and hate the sin that they do. That is called the evidence of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Unbelievers live at peace with sin. Are you at peace with sin? Is there sin in your life where you're like, you know what? I can lay in this just fine. If you're at peace with sin, you are not at peace with Christ. Unbelievers live at peace with sin. Believers hate it, and they fight it. 
The war that you wage, both in your successes and even in your failures against sin, is collectively evidence of salvation and the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Conversely, if you claim Christ, yet do not wage war on sin, 1 John 2 verse 4 says, He is not in you, and you are a liar. Paul says, For I am not practicing what I want to do. I'm not practicing what I know I should do. Have you been there? I think the better question may be, are you there right now? Are you there right now? Engaged in things you know God hates. And just trying to give it a different label. How many here have ever given something a different name in order to make it more acceptable and and intolerable? Anyone at all? Paul desires holiness. Paul desires holiness. In fact, he says, what I want. I love that word there. What I want. Can you tell my eyes are getting bad? What I want is the Greek word thaleo, thaleo. Something like that. I can't say it. Thaleo. It means I delight in it. I delight in it. I, I, I want to delight in the law of the Lord. Paul's being brutally honest here with us. He delights in the law of God. He desires goodness. He desires holiness. True believers like Paul, like many of you here, love what God loves. He hates what God hates. Hence the words, but I'm doing the thing I hate there in the blue. I'm doing what I'm supposed to hate. A true believer's spiritual life will inevitably grow to hate sin more, not excuse sin more, and love righteousness. Here's the question. Do you hate your sin more today than you did a year ago? Do you hate your sin more today than you did a year ago? Because I'm telling you right now, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which is not static and is alive and is guiding and cheering and directing and convicting us and and pushing us towards uh, the uh, sanctification and becoming more into the image of Jesus Christ, will not tolerate an increased desire for sin. Do you say to yourself, I hate that sin. I hate disappointing Christ. I hate compromising my testimony. I hate not being a witness to his goodness. I hate spiritualizing my selfishness. Church, hear that one. Spiritualizing selfishness and calling it good. Yet here I am. Here we are. Here Paul is. All right? I can't tell you how many times I've met with men and women who weep over their sin that they're struggling with and praise the Lord for the struggle. Praise the Lord for the struggle. Wishing to God they were free from their sin, yet they return to it like a dog to its own vomit. My friends, if Paul is one of the greatest Christians ever to walk the, the face of the earth and wrote 13 books of the New Testament, can be brutally honest with us, then let us be brutally honest with each other. We all know well the inner battle between the Holy Spirit and our old sinful flesh in our lives. I like how Steve Lawson put it. The only preacher that I know who screams more than I. Steve Lawson is always at an 11, all right? I'm at a 10 and a half, so he's my mentor. He says this, and I like the way he says it. 
because as a pastor, I can relate to it. He said, this is certainly true about me. I can preach a far better sermon than I can ever live. And then true to his nature, he turned both his cannons on the crowd. And he said this, and the same is true for you. You can hear a message far better than you will live out this week. I appreciate that truth. And then Paul says what all of us experience in our lives here. All of us experience in our lives here. He says, now he says it in the first century vernacular that's a bit confusing, but when we untangle it into our contemporary lingo, it will pop off the page. He says this, but now, as it relates to sinning in my life, it is no longer I the one who am sinning, but the sin that dwells in me. It's kind of in the orange pink right there. Now at first view of that, it almost seems like he's saying, devil made me do it it's not my fault i'm not responsible for the sin in my life we're going to unpack that because that's not what he is saying here so what is paul saying is he saying he's not responsible for sin not at all we have to remember the context the context oh that the church of christ would interpret and teach and preach the word of god in the context in which it was written can i get an amen can i get a hallelujah All right, a little weaker, but it was there. Oh, tell me what God's word says, not what I wanted to say so I can have the temperature of my porridge. Amen? Let it be our authority. Context. Paul is talking about a battle between two alternatives. A battle between the flesh and the spirit. That's the whole context here. So we have to interpret this pink-orange section here in the context of a battle between two alternatives. Christ in you and your sin nature in you. In me, by the way. Galatians communicates this well, which is from Paul. He says this, For I desire, for the desire of the flesh are against that of the desires of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the presence of Christ, the new man. These are opposed to each other. And they keep you from doing the things I want to do. It almost sounds like the text. That's what I want to do. I do not do. Because there's a battle between two things inside of your heart. As believers, we have two natures warring against one another. The first one is our sinful nature right there. Our flesh, our old man. The second one is is our new nature. Christ, the Holy Spirit in us after salvation. Here it is. Grab this. We won't be much longer. That's not true. When we repent of our sins and we place our faith in Jesus Christ through the affectious call of the Holy Spirit, we receive the Holy Spirit. His ministry in our lives is a a deposit until the day of redemption. It seals our salvation. It preserves our salvation. It guides us. It cheers us. He, He convicts us. He pushes us to godliness. You see, upon true salvation, Jesus is placed on the throne of your life. He is placed on the throne of your life. But that doesn't mean that your sinful nature, your old flesh, your lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is, is gone out of our lives. A good way to look at this comes from um, one, of, one great teacher here that he says this, Upon salvation, our sinful flesh is like an exiled dictator. It is kicked off the throne of our life, no longer the authority of our life. But still, sin still roams the, the temple. It still roams the castle looking to get back on the throne. There is conflict. 
Another way to put it is this. Your sinful flesh may have been kicked out of the driver's seat of your car, but it is still in the car trying to backseat drive. It is with this in mind, with this in mind, that we now understand the pink-orange section there, but I no longer, I but doing it, but sin that dwells in me. The I here, now that we understand the context, the I here is the new man in Christ. See it right there. The I is the new man in Christ, who we are after salvation, the deposit of the Holy Spirit. The sin, let's highlight sin, the sin is our old nature, our flesh, the one right here, the, the, the sin nature that we still have in our lives. And then he unpacks it very clearly. He says this, i got to find where I am in my notes, right? Here, there it is. I think I got it. It's not that, what, what Paul is saying here, it's not that Christ in me, the Holy Spirit in me that is driving me to sin, but my own sinful fallen nature, now grab this, that dwells in me. This is a wonderful word, all right? It literally means to cohabitate, to cohabitate, to live in an unequal way. To occupy a house with one another. Let me cut to the chase. Your new identity in Christ and your old identity in the flesh, here it is, will never agree on anything. Amen? You following me here? They will never agree on anything. The other day, Amy and I uh, flew out of state and had dinner with some, some, some distant friends of ours. And we spent some time with this couple, and we went out to eat, and, and we're sitting there at the table. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had dinner with a couple who agrees on nothing and attacks each other on everything? If you've been there, say yes. If you've been that couple, say yes. All right, a few of us. We've all been that couple. Oh, it was the longest dinner of our lives. Every time Joe said to Susie, you know, I think something's blue. It is not. Not only is it not blue, but you're orange. And, you know, whatever the subject. Oh, you don't know nothing. Amy and I were kicking each other under the table. I have bruises to this day. It was, it was the longest, by the way. We finished our meal like 45 minutes before them because we didn't have to do any of the talking. We left there going thinking, well, we got a pretty good marriage, all right? How many here ever compare their, your marriage based on someone who has it worse? Anyone at all? Just kind of makes you feel better. That's the grace of Jesus, all right? No, I'm not saying that. They didn't agree on anything. I want you to grab this. Paul is not denying responsibility here for his sin. He is confessing the source of his weakness. That's what he's doing. He's confessing the source of his weakness. Church, upon salvation, we are a people of mixed desires. We are a walking contradiction. We are a living conflict. Upon salvation, our lives become a battle between two alternatives. We know this to be true. In fact, we see it when Paul writes this. For, for the good I want, I do not do. There's the conflict. But I practice the very evil I don't want to do. I am a versus. I am a conflict. I am a walking contradiction. Every day of my life, I fight this battle on which there is no white flag to be found. 
Has your soul ever cried out these words? I have. Let me be a little bit more transparent. I do. I cry these words out every week. Every day. We are in a battle with our old flesh, even as believers. This is how David was able to commit adultery while being a man after God's own heart. How Abraham could lie. Moses could commit murder. Peter could deny Christ. It's why fathers and men within the church struggle with pornography and passive leadership. It's why mothers and women spiritualize uh, dissatisfaction or want to make themselves the Lord and Savior of their children's lives. Every one of us is a step away from committing these sins because our sinful flesh remains within us. It's in the car. It is with this context in mind that we understand what Paul is saying next. And we'll roll through this. He says this, For I joyfully agree with the law of God in my inner person. That's the new spirit in Christ. See the context? But then he says, but, there's the verses, there's the conflict, I see a different law in my body, that's your old sinful flesh. He's basically repeating verses 14 through 20. He's setting the stage. Paul loves the Lord. He loves his law. He wants desperately to bring glory to Jesus Christ. Yet there are times in his life where he sins, and it is so frustrating that he cries out, Oh, wretched man that I am. We've all been there. What am I doing? I'm eating this vomit. My friends, if you have ever been there in your Christian walk, maybe you are there right now in your Christian walk. If you've ever been in a place where you are absolutely at the end of your rope, that you have failed your Lord, and you don't know why, if you've ever been there, say amen. All of us are there. All of us are there. And I get there before you. Why do we spend so much time hiding our battles from one another? Paul doesn't. Why do we spend so much time hiding our battles for one another? Paul says, what's wrong with me? And here's the cool part. When in reality, when in reality, it is what is wrong with all of us. We're all this here. This is not to excuse the presence of sin in our lives, but to acknowledge that we're all in the same boat. Here's some application. We try so hard to give people the impression that we got it all together, do we not? How you doing? I'm doing great. Your life's a flaming dumpster fire. We don't want any help because the number one thing in conservative Christianity is what do people think God Forgive us. Am I right before him? And by the way, we need the body of Christ. Amen? Let us not prioritize people's perceptions of us higher than an authentic relationship with God and others. The greatest growth opportunities in our lives is when we work through, and we don't cut and run, but we work through difficult and broken times. That is the greatest growth in our lives, to push through that issue, not not to run and go away and try to escape them where no one knows about them, because I'm going to tell you, if that's your battle plan, your enemy will meet you there. You'll repeat it. Now, I want you to hear some encouragement here. Paul is perhaps the greatest Christian ever to live. He is arguably the most mature believer in all of the New Testament. 
And yet this is his battle with sin. How many here today find comfort in knowing that Paul had the same struggle as you do today? Amen? It's nice to know that. It's nice to know that you're not alone. It's nice to hear the words, me too, in a completely different context than today's society, all right? In fact, hashtag me as well. How's that? I often say those words to people that I counsel. They share their struggles and their failures with me. And when it is true and appropriate, I look at them and I say, me too. Me too. I fight that too. I failed there too. I struggle with that too. You can literally see the weight of being alone lifted off their shoulders. So what are we to do when we are frustrated with ourselves? I know if we're struggling, you know what the problem is? We don't have enough rules. Amen? We need more rules. A lot of times within conservative Christianity, if things aren't bubbling out the way we want them to do, it's probably because we need more rules to follow because in rules we find salvation. Amen? No. Oftentimes, those of us who have come from legalistic backgrounds think, if things aren't how they should be, it must be because I need more rules to follow. My friends, rules do nothing to the heart. Rules do nothing to a heart. Paul doesn't go after more rules, more expectations, more discernible positions, more demands. By the way, no one had more rules than Paul. Paul is a product of rules. And yet, look at his struggle. In fact, Paul doesn't even say, what should I do? Check that out. He doesn't say, what should I do? What rule am I missing? What added burden might I put into my life that will crush me into the submission of Jesus Christ? He doesn't do that. He admits he's utterly helpless. And by the way, being utterly helpless, being utterly wretched is a good place to be. It is exactly where we need to be in difficult times. Because Paul places him exactly where Jesus said we needed to be when he taught on the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed who are, are those who are helpless. Blessed are those who are weak. Blessed are those, to use this context, who are wretched and helpless. When we are at the end of our rope, it is not another rule that is needed, but rather a yielding to Jesus Christ. Kent Hughes hits it out of the park, and maybe you can relate to this. He says, as long as we think we can do it by ourselves, we will live forever in the failure of Romans 7. Are you living there? Are you living there? Friends and family, Do we spiritualize our own selfishness, pack ourselves with rules, and wonder why our homes and our lives are an absolute spiritual mess? Look at how Paul handles the coming at the end of his rope, and he handles it beautifully. He says, who will set me free from this body of death? Who will set me free from this this old sin nature? Now, notice this here. Grab this. We're almost done. He 
notice what Paul does not say. He doesn't say, what rule must I add? He doesn't say, what must I do? What expectation have I messed? No, he doesn't even ask what at all, but rather, who will rescue me? And then he gives the answer, because there is only one who, and it is this. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The only one who can rescue us from our wretchedness is yielding to the power of Jesus Christ. And the church ought to say what to that? Amen. Amen and amen and amen. I say that to myself. Christians who prioritize rules and performance over love and dependence on Christ ensures failure. It's almost in certainty that's why churches fail today. We highlight rules and expectations and preferences and, and, and desires over, over that of Jesus Christ himself. I will, brother. Thank you. We got one. If we prioritize rules and brands and styles and preferences over love and dependence on Christ, it ensures our failure. It at least ensures spiritual sickness. Our rescue is found in Jesus Christ. And here it is, in His righteousness. His righteousness. In fact, that's what we're going to unpack next week. Now, if you're anything like me, you might be saying, then how in the world do I find victory from my wretchedness? Chapter 8 will tell us how. But we are strong, exegetical teachers of God's Word. We're not in chapter 8 on it, so sit on it, all right? We will unpack that. I encourage you, come back next week as Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, at the end of his rope, being honest, brutally honest with people, says, this is how I I find success in this never-white-flagging battle in my life. But that's next week. Come back. We'll unpack that. For several months, we will unpack that. But here's what I want you to see. Next week we'll unpack some practical ways to have victory and health in our spiritual battle in life. But for now, I want to give you some practical insights and encouragement on this text that we're going to close with. And I think you'll like these. There's 32 of them. No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. We are almost done. Here's the first one. Tell me this isn't encouraging. I see see your faces. I know a lot of what's going on in your life but not as much as what might be under the tip of the iceberg. Same here. I want you to hear this. Michael Sutherland, I want you to hear this. Brett Boomsma, I want you to hear this. Jim, hear this. Young people, hear this. Number one, you are not alone. You are not even exceptional. How's that for encouragement? What I mean by this is, you are not the worst. You and I am like everyone else, including Paul. It's nice to know you're not alone. Number two, there are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. There is never a white flag. It is a lifelong battle and pursuit of of sanctification. Settle in, settle down. You're on a marathon. Three, every believer is in a different place in their Christian journey. Oh, Baptist, hear this. Brett, hear this. Every believer is in a different place in their Christian journey. We should be patient and forbearing and encouraging towards one another. 
not critical and judgmental. We are not to be sharpshooters from our hill of self-righteousness and personal standards. I think sometimes in our circles we forget that sanctification is progressive. It is not an elevator. It is a hill. It's a long hill. It's progressive. Thereby, it's a journey that all of us are on. And by the way, are going to be in some different places. Let's be patient with one another. Let's be loving. R.C. Sproul gave us the next one. While this is for all of us, parents and spouses, we need to especially hear this. One of the worst sins we can commit is to establish our personal achievements and desires as a standard by which our family will be judged. That one's got some sting to it. Success in life is not reproducing yourself. It's not cloning yourself, but rather producing followers of Jesus Christ. Young people who, who love God with all of their heart and treat their neighbor as their self. Is that not the law of God being fulfilled? Is that not the character of God who loved His Father with all of His heart and loved you with all of His life? Amen? That's the character of God. That's the law of God. That is our goal, not our, not our achievements and expectations. To love God with all of our heart. I think sometimes we see those who are entrusted with us with us as products we're trying to produce rather than people who love God and love people. And by the way, that might mean they look a little different and act a little different and choose a little different than you. And that's okay. Because this is the goal, not this. I like this next one. We will never be sinless in our life. But we should be sinning less. I like that. I like that. Look, she's going up to the piano. You're almost free. (laughs) Be honest, how many of you always look towards the piano like, good night. When will she get up there? We should be sinning less. As, As we mature in Christ, make a commitment. I want you to hear this. Make a commitment to sin less. A lot of times we say, I'm never going to sin again. Good luck. Good luck. As though the battle's over. There are things in my life that when I pray to the Lord, I say, I repent. I turn away from this. I want to head towards you. And my goal, Lord, is to do it less and less and less until I have absolute victory over this. You're human. This is a lifelong battle. Finally, last one, good news. And I want you to say amen to this one. He who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Amen? In fact, Romans chapter 8 is going to guarantee you victory. It's going to guarantee you victory if you are a true child of God. You are predestined before the foundations of the world through the power of the Holy Spirit to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. How many are thankful you're in a battle where the victory's already been won? Amen? You just got to get there and not sit on your rear. You know, salvation is free. It is a gift. Discipleship is costly. The sanctification is costly. Let me say this another way. He that is behind the steering wheel is far greater than he who is yelling in the back seat.
One of the most frustrating aspects of the Christian life is when you say, why did I do that? Better yet, why am I doing that? What was I thinking? But one of the most comforting aspects is hearing the words, me too. Knowing that you're not alone can be of great comfort. Embrace your helplessness and run to Jesus. My friends, everyone in this room is in the same battle. You are not alone. Do not give up. And do not stay the same. Next week's Romans 8. How do we find victory in this battle? And not only that, but praise be to God, the great promise that victory is ensured. Gracious Heavenly Father, dismiss us with your blessing. If there's anyone in this room, Lord, that is at peace with sin, chase them, convict them. Lord, may we be a people who desire you more in ourselves less. I pray this for me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.